The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. To the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi. Just joining you for this hour before Leslie uh, returns to the microphone from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I am joined, as I am many times, and Leslie is as well, by good friend of the show and political strategist Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research, which is a polling, message development, and media firm which helps labor unions, progressive issue groups, and Democratic candidates win public affairs and political campaigns. Recently, Brad acquired a new position as a weekly blogger for EpicTimes.com. He formerly wrote for U.S. News and World Report. And he's also a lecturer in political silence. Wow, silence. That would be bad. Too bad we can't have political silence for Donald Trump, Brad. Political science at Salem State University in Salem, Mass. How's it going today, Brad? Hey, Mark. How you doing? Good, good. Great to have you back. Um, I want to get right into things, and, and before we start, I'll just mention it now. Uh, anyone's welcome to join us at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. I have some questions regarding the national polls for Clinton uh, versus Trump uh, in the national polls first, and then I want to move on to the battleground states. But when we look at the national polls, Brad, Hillary has a 62 percent lead in the real clear politics average of recent polls although the three most recent national polls are all over the place if you look um, we've got nbc news wall street journal having clinton up by five points that came out over the weekend and also over the weekend the abc news washington post poll has her up by 12 points but then today quinnipiac has her up by two points why that's a pretty big variation to me from what i've seen uh and i was just wondering why you think that is brad well, uh, first of all, uh, partly it's because uh, each polling organization uh, has different methods uh, for doing the surveys. Uh, some of them uh, will talk to uh, anybody who's a registered voter. Uh, some of them will only talk to people, registered voters, who they think are likely to vote. Um, other people will talk to anybody over the 18, uh, the age of 18. Uh, so uh, it really depends on the methodology you use. So would you say that when you are looking at something like ABC News, Washington Post, for example, that has Clinton up by 12, you're, you're looking at a wider group of voters or just people who are also, um, you know, not using landlines, also using cell phones, or, or is that a, a stretch? Well, both, uh, you know, first of all, uh, I would, I, uh, I, as a general rule of thumb, uh, I uh, put more weight on the polls done by the networks than by colleges, uh, mainly because the people who are doing the network polls are seasoned professionals who know what they're doing. 
you know, my guess is one safe assumption you can make is that uh, Clinton's lead is probably somewhere between the 5% in the Wall Street Journal NBC poll and 12% in the ABC Washington Post poll. I think that's, you know, a good point, too, you bring up about methodology, Brad, and I know it's something that you've articulated before and we've seen, you know, follow through on when you look at the difference in the polls and then when the actual election happens and people will sometimes ask about the disparity, and those are some things you've pointed to not only before the fact but after the fact. And I think that's something that is lost on the, the common uh, political spectator is something like methodology because it really gets into the weeds, if you will, and you need someone like yourself to kind of explain why you're seeing differences. So I think that's helpful. Um, adding to the confusion a bit for voters or those who are just, you know, trying to figure out um, the difference in these polls, uh, the battleground states that will decide the presidency seem much closer than most of the national polls. Um, and before I ask you, why the difference? Uh, let me give some examples to our audience, Brad, if you if you don't mind. Um, in Colorado, Clinton leads by one point in a CBS slash YouGov poll that was released over the weekend. The following states I'm going to give are all um, real clear politics averages of recent polls. You've got Florida, Clinton leading by 3.4%. New Hampshire, Clinton leads by 2.8%. North Carolina, uh, the only battleground state that has Trump leading in the average, he leads by 1.3%. Then you've got Ohio, Clinton up by 3, Pennsylvania, Clinton up by 2.5, and then Virginia, Clinton up by 4. So just wondering what you make of this when comparing what we're seeing in the national polls to polls in the battleground states, Brad. Well, polls in battleground states are always closer. Uh, the contest is always closer than the... Uh, uh, than the national polls. And there's a very simple reason for that. Uh, they're battleground states because they are uh, have close matches of Democrats and Republicans in them. Uh, by definition, uh, the races in battleground states are going to be close because that's where the closest matchups of Democrats and Republicans you have. I mean, the reality is, who cares who's lead, how much Hillary Clinton is leading the polls by uh, in uh, California, Illinois, and New York? Because the reality is she's going to win those states, and it doesn't matter whether she wins them by 1% one, uh, 1 or 14% because she'll get all the electoral votes anyway. Uh, and, you know, you could say the same thing about Trump in Texas. Uh, it doesn't matter how big a lead Donald Trump has in Texas because he's going to get the electoral votes there, even if he, all of them, even if, you know, he's going to win by anywhere from one to 15 points. And the margin doesn't matter uh, because he's going to get all the electoral votes anyway. And so a lot of the national polls have states in them where it's really kind of artificial because the popular vote counts really – the margin in the popular vote counts don't really make any difference to the electoral outcome. I think that's a good point. One thing that um, I think on the flip side, if to play devil's advocate, is if you're looking at it from uh, a position of hoping that Hillary Clinton defeats Donald Trump, um, as I am, and I know many you know people who listen to Leslie's show are, uh, you know, it's I guess my my concern, if I have one here, it's great that she's leading in nine of the ten battleground states in these polls, uh, minus North Carolina. Uh, but I guess the thing that I'm just wondering about is with with the way that the Trump campaign has been run and, and how 
many just bad press weeks he's had recently. I guess I'm just a little bit surprised that the, the polls aren't um, more in Clinton's favor. Um, that said, I know there's some potential reasons, one of which is we haven't had, you know, the Democratic Party really fully come together with the Bernie supporters yet, you know, at having the convention. And, and as you've said, you know, what you think will happen, and I do too on the last day of the convention, having Bernie and Hillary on the stage together and then having all of the Democratic, uh, you know, um, powerhouses like President Obama really come out uh, and Joe Biden, and, and we've seen some of Elizabeth Warren, and then Bernie all come out on the campaign trail for Clinton, whereas then Trump, we've seen how little of support he's gotten from the Republican Party. I do think that will obviously uh, change. That said, are you surprised at all, Brad, with the way that the Trump campaign has been run, that Hillary isn't up more in some of these polls? Well, uh, you know, I mean, let's face it, uh, Hillary has been beating, get beaten up, too. Um, I mean, we've gone through a period here uh, where you've had, uh, you know, anywhere from 15 uh, to four different candidates beating up on Hillary Clinton. Uh, No one's beating up on on Bernie Sanders. Uh, And the reality is, and, you know, I mean, I think uh, basically, uh, right now, Hillary Clinton has a, has had a bigger target painted on her back um, all through the last year because at one point there were like 15 people running around beating the crap out of Hillary Clinton. Uh, and, uh, you know, so uh, I think, you know, the other thing to remember about these battleground state polls is Hillary may only be ahead by a couple, one or two or three points or whatever in each battleground state, but there are two factors you have to take in common. Um, Almost always, if you look at the history of presidential elections, the battleground states end up going all the same direction. Um, For instance, there were 10 battleground states uh, in 2012, uh, and Barack Obama won 9 out of 10. Uh, The only one he lost was uh, North Carolina, Uh, and uh, Obama won everything else, Ohio, uh, Florida, Pennsylvania, Virginia. uh, And so even though Barack Obama had a relatively... Uh, you know, I mean, he beat Reagan, I mean, beat Romney uh, by, you know, maybe one and a half or two percent in the elect, in the popular vote. But he went, he ended up winning an electoral vote landslide. Uh, he won 331 votes, uh, which is 61 more than he needed to win the election. I think that's a really good point, Brad. And I want to ask you, going into the break, I want you to just think about this question, and then I'll let you answer on the other side. Um, I'm compelled by the fact that Hillary Clinton is polling neck and neck with Donald Trump in states like Arizona, Georgia, and Utah. And that gives me hope on the flip side of a potential landslide and also having a strong down ticket race um, that could really help the Democrats potentially take back the Senate. Um, I think it would be... Trump would really have to implode even more, which is saying something for the Democrats to have a chance at the House just because of the way Republicans have gerrymandered the the voting districts there. That said, I think they have a real shot at the Senate, and I wonder about those three states specifically, again, of Arizona, Georgia, and Utah. 
how much of a chance you give Hillary of taking uh, any of those states. So we'll get Brad's response on that on the other end of the break. If you want to uh, join in and give your opinion as well on some of these polls, as well as uh, whether or not you think Hillary has a shot of picking off any of those three states of Arizona, Arizona, Georgia, and Utah, where her and Donald Trump are polling very closely, you're welcome to join myself, Mark Grimaldi, and Brad Bannon at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. When we get back, we're also going to be talking about Donald Trump's shifting Muslim ban, uh, which, if you've been following, is quite hard to keep up with and ridiculous. Uh, but we will we'll try to nail him down on it, and we'll get Brad's opinion on it as well. And if we have time, we're also going to talk about uh, Hillary Clinton's potential vice president picks and the Republicans loading up the Zika funding bill with a bunch of bull crap. We'll be right back after this. My name is Mark Romaldi, again, within... Uh, Brad Bannon here, 8886 Leslie. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 8886 Leslie. Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie just for about the next half hour, a little bit more than that, joined by a very good friend of the show, Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research. He's a great follow on Twitter. His handle is at Brad Bannon. That's B-R-A-D-B-A-N-N-O-N. You can also check out his website, if you'd like, at BannonCR.com. Brad, before the break, I had asked you a question about the... Um, Kind of interesting three states that I'm also following this year that I don't usually give much credence to, um, which are Arizona, Georgia, and Utah, because of the Utah especially just blows my mind because of the fact that Hillary Clinton is polling very closely with Donald Trump. And I just wanted to uh, get your thoughts on her chances to win any of those states. Well, I think she has uh, pretty decent chances of uh, winning Georgia and Arizona. And if you, first of all, if you look at Georgia, uh, Georgia has been becoming the Democrats have come, the Democratic presidential candidate has been coming closer to winning Georgia every four years. Uh, and partly it's a, a, demo, it, a lot of this is just pure demography. What's happening in Georgia is you have this trend where, uh, African Americans uh, who have been living in the Northeast um, or the North um, have been moving south, and for that reason, Georgia has become is becoming increasingly black, uh, which is another way of saying it's becoming increasingly democratic. So Georgia's been trending, uh, and this isn't really all of a sudden. I mean, Georgia's been getting closer and closer for Democrats every four years. Um, Arizona, there's a simple. Demographic explanation for why that race is close too is because the Latino vote uh, is very big in Arizona, and it's going to be even bigger than it was four years ago. Uh, and not only are you going to have more Latinos voting, uh, but you're going to have more Latinos 
voting for Hillary Clinton than voted for Barack Obama. And that makes uh, life very difficult for Donald Trump, and that's clearly a self-inflicted wound. He's going uh, he's going out of his way to inflict uh, uh, damage on himself with Latinos, uh, and Arizona could very well be a casualty for him. Now, the way you know, the other thing you got to say about these polls is they're not particularly meaningful. Uh, because in our system, popular vote doesn't decide the winner of the presidential race. The electoral c- vote does. Now, uh, you have 539 electoral votes altogether. You need to win 270 of those electoral votes uh, to win uh, to become president. And as I said before, in 2012, Barack Obama just barely won the popular vote, um, but he had an electoral vote landslide. Uh, he got 331 votes. So what Trump has to do is he has to find uh, 61 electoral votes that Obama didn't win. Uh, 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 he has to find uh, 61 electoral votes from states that Obama won in 2012. Uh, and so basically what Trump has have to do, he has to win a lot of Democratic states to get to 270. And that's even more complicated in Trump's case, because now we have a bigger pool of battleground states. Um, if you look at two states where, that have traditionally voted Republican, and those are the two we just talked about, Georgia and Arizona, those are battleground states now. And if you add those together, that's 27 uh, more electoral votes. And so basically, Donald Trump has to take 61 electoral votes from states that Barack Obama won. And he has to take more than that um, if he loses Georgia and or Arizona, which is the distinct possibility. So looking at an electoral point, a point of view, uh, Clinton has a great advantage, which isn't reflected in the popular vote. But, you know, the reality is the popular vote doesn't really make a difference. In the last minute here, Brad, before our hard break, is that why we see stuff like today where Nate Silver came out and predicted giving Hillary Clinton a, a 79 percent chance of of being our next president? Uh, yes, exactly. And I mean, if you look at the distribution of electoral votes, which is the only things that matter, Hillary Clinton has a big advantage. Because the only way Donald Trump can win the presidential election with 270 electoral votes is to take away a lot of votes, electoral votes, that Barack Obama won uh, in 2012 and in 2008. And not only that, but he has to defend two Republican states, uh, which meant went from Mitt Romney, and those would be Georgia, Arizona. I don't really buy the Utah thing. Uh, the Utah race is very close, but when push comes to shove, uh, I think uh, I think probably Trump will hang on there. All right, Brad, we've got our hard break coming up. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall, joined by Brad Bannon, 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall, joined by good friend Brad Bannon. He runs Bannon Communications Research. Check him out 
on Twitter at Brad Bannon or check out his website, BannonCR.com. Before we went to the commercial break, I had mentioned that we were going to get into the topic of Donald Trump's ever-changing Muslim ban. Um, And uh, basically, to do so, I first need to share a great recap of his positions on the matter by the talented Victoria Jones of Talk Media News, who you hear regularly on the show giving us uh, our updated news at the uh, end of the second hour of the show. Um, This is again from Victoria Jones. Trump's shifting, drifting Muslim man. From the moment he first declared it, the plan has been a signature of his campaign for president. Quote, Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what's going on. He read that position himself, put out a press release, and then actually read it on stage uh, after the San Bernardino attacks. That was position number one. Since then... Trump has evaded questions when pressed for details, as he does on a lot of things. Now that he has sliding poll numbers, his spokespeople say he's no longer seeking the ban at all. In its place, he's offering an approach based on a standard of terrorism that he and his campaign refuse to define. The ban idea originated with 28 direct and forceful words issued immediately again after the December shootings in San Bernardino that killed 14 people. Lots of questions emerged. Would it apply to U.S. citizens traveling or living abroad, members of the armed forces, foreign leaders, or Nobel laureate Malala? In response, Trump's campaign manager at the time, Corey Lewandowski, said the ban would apply to, quote, everybody, including tourists and Muslims seeking immigrant visas. Trump's campaign refused to answer additional questions, including the how, how the U.S. would determine a person's religious beliefs. Trump said in an email to the AP, quote, you figure it out, exclamation point. Nice. Later, he said the ban would include exemptions for world leaders and athletes. Then his language softened further, quote, it's a temporary ban. It hasn't been called for yet. Nobody's done it, Trump said on Fox News Radio in May. That was position number three, if you're still counting here at home. Then came this month's Orlando shootings. A day after the attack, Trump said, quote, I called for a ban after San Bernardino and was met with great scorn and anger. But now many are saying that I was right to do so. And although the pause is temporary, we must find out what is going on. We have to do it, end quote. That's position number four, which, as Victoria notes, is a redux of position number one. Getting confused yet? In the speech, Trump added a new element, quote, When I'm elected, I will suspend immigration from areas of the world where there is a proven history of terrorism against the United States, Europe, or our allies until we fully understand how to end these threats. Position number five. Did this replace the Muslim ban, or was it in addition? What qualified as a, quote, proven history of terrorism? Would it apply to Northern Ireland with a proven history of terrorism? What about Saudi Arabia, the birthplace of most of the 9-11 hijackers, but a U.S. ally? Would Christians from Syria and Jews from Israel be banned? What about Turkey, a NATO ally? Jeez. Terror attacks or attempted terror attacks against the U.S. and its European allies have been carried out in recent years by people from the U.S., Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Lebanon, the United Arab Emirates, Nigeria, the United Kingdom, Iraq, Syria, France, and Belgium, among other places. So what are we going to do, ban immigration from the United States? Someone should seriously say that to him. Then, during a visit to his golf courses in Scotland over the weekend, Trump said he would have no issue with a Muslim from Scotland coming to the United States. That's position number six. And following a Twitter outburst, spokesman Hope Hicks said he no longer supports his original ban and only wants to limit immigrants from states with extremist elements, position number seven. Trump said Saturday, quote, I would limit specific terrorist countries, and we know who those terrorist countries are. 
But he also suggested he wasn't actually proposing a hard ban on immigration from terrorist countries, but only that people from such states, which he would not specify, should be strongly screened. That's position number eight. Asked to clarify whether Trump still supports a ban on Muslims entering the United States as originally proposed, a ban on immigration from states associated with terrorism post-Orlando speech, or strong vetting, as he said in Scotland, Hope Hicks, Trump's spokeswoman, said... Mr. Trump has stated a position consistent with his speech two weeks ago. Really? That's consistent? He has been very clear, said, said Hicks in an email Monday. It's the press, she said, that has tried to cause confusion. Are you kidding me? I wish I could swear right now. Are you kidding me? Brad, what do you make of Trump's changing position on this, and how do you think the proposed ban will play out in the election? Uh, Donald Trump has more positions uh, than the Kama Sutra does. Uh, <laughs> you know, the reality is he's been all over the map on this thing. Uh, and, you know, his, and, you know, I think it's unfair to single out his shifting positions on, uh, you know, Muslims because he has shifted positions on just about every other issue, too. Very true. Um, and so I think, you know, it's unfair to limit it to that one area. Uh, it, it's just, he has no idea what he's doing. That That's the basic problem here. You know, this is the clear mark of a demagogue. In my book, uh, a demagogue uh, is someone uh, who takes positions which are obviously unreasonable and impractical just to play on the emotions of the crowd. Uh, and that that's what Donald Trump does. I mean, the reality is there's no way he's going to get Mexico to pay for building a wall. Um, he knows that, but he doesn't care. He'll say it anyway because, it, you know, it causes, you know, it gets his supporters riled up. Um, there's no way he could – the problem he's having on this issue with Muslims is there's no way to do it. Um, you know, are we going to yeah, – you, know, you mentioned a whole bunch of ridiculous, you know, situations. Uh, you know, I'll give you another one. Um, in the last, oh, I don't know, two years, um, the Saudis and the Jordanians uh, have been uh, conducting bombing raids against ISIS uh, along with uh, American forces. Um, so, you know, a few of those Saudi uh, and Jordanian uh, pilots flying those missions have been killed over by ISIS. Uh, are we going to limit their families from coming to the United States after their, uh, you know, spouses died for this country? It's ridiculous. It really and, is. You know, very few people have pointed out that even if Trump proposed this thing, there would no way it would ever get anywhere because it's a, it's a clear uh, violation of the First Amendment, which prohibits the U.S. government from uh, using religious tests. Uh, and even a conservative Supreme Court would throw it out uh, in five minutes. And, you know, the thing is, Trump knows all this, too. He just doesn't care. He just says it because it gets his folks rallied up. The problem with Trump is it gets his folks rallied up. You know, maybe there are 30 or, you know, 30, somewhere between 30 and 35 percent of Americans who love this stuff. The problem is that's it. There are 60 or 65 percent of Americans who think what he's saying is stupid.
And that's his problem. Well, Brad, let me ask you a question. I mean, there's no way he's going to be able to weasel out of this position now that he's saying they don't support the ban. I mean, right? How do you how do you think this proposed ban is going to play out when you, when we come to things like, you know, the debate where he can just say, oh, well, you know, I have changing positions. She has changing positions on things like the TPP. I mean, I can just hear it now. Do you think she's going to be able to nail him down on this? Oh, God, yeah. And I would say, you know, it, it wouldn't take much. I mean, remember now, we're dealing with a guy whose negatives in national polls are approaching 70%. You know, there are some people who are stupid, but the large majority of Americans uh, are good at uh, detecting BS. And, you know, if you look at the national polls and the 70% of Americans who don't like Trump or think he's qualified for president, I think most Americans have figured it out already. Um, Speaking of Trump, Elizabeth Warren seems to really uh, have gotten under his skin Monday when she labeled him, quote, a small, insecure money grubber and a thin-skinned bully uh, and a nasty man who would crush you into the dirt to get whatever he wants. Trump, uh, as you know, quickly responded to Warren telling NBC News that she is, quote, a total fraud, very racist, figure that one out, and easy to compete against. He called her Pocahontas, a slur alluding to controversy about Warren's claim of partial Native American heritage, yet he calls her a racist. I uh, was just wondering what you thought of Senator Warren and Secretary Clinton together uh, on Monday, Brad. Uh, well, first of all, normally uh, a presidential candidate like Hillary Clinton uh the most well you know there are a couple of things first of all there's the old axiom that when you pick a vice president uh the theory is pick someone who's not going to hurt you because it's very unlikely anybody will help you uh that is now called the Sarah Palin exemption um, the uh one of the things you see i think personally i i don't know how serious a candidate for Vice President Elizabeth Warren was last week, uh, but she's gone to the top of the charts this week, and mainly because she's exhibited the one feature that all presidential candidates uh, value uh, in vice presidential running mates, the ability of the running mate to get under the skin of the opposing presidential candidate. And, you know, what's happening now is great for Hillary Clinton. You know, she's just sort of skating by, doing her thing, while uh, a back-and-forth is going on, a bitter back-and-forth between uh, Elizabeth Warren and Donald Trump. Um, Donald Trump's running for president. Elizabeth Warren isn't. So anytime you can create a situation where you're the other presidential candidate is responding to your running mate, that's as good as gold as in a presidential race. That's a really interesting uh, point you bring up, Brad. Do you think that the VP sweepstakes, if you want to call it that, uh, is, is down to Warren, uh, fellow Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia, and Housing Secretary Julian Castro, or do you still think we have a shot at seeing a, a good shot at seeing someone like uh, Sherrod Brown, Cory Booker, or Tom Perez on, on that short list? I would be surprised if it's not one of those three. So, so Warren, uh, Kane, the senator from Virginia, or Housing Secretary Julian Castro, correct? Yes. And first of all, I'm almost absolutely sure it's not going to be Sherrod Brown. And there's a very simple reason why it's not going to be Sherrod Brown. Um, if uh, she uh, picked Sherrod Brown to be her running mate, and actually Sherrod Brown, I think, would be a very good running mate. Um, Ohio 
if you know Hillary Clinton wins Ohio, I don't see how Trump gets 270 electoral votes. The only problem is there's one big problem with Sherrod Brown. And that's if, if he's elected vice president, that Senate seat will go Republican. Is that because of the Republican, is there a Republican yes. governor there? Okay, so what about... John Kasich. Oh, if, yeah, we got if, John Kasich, that's right. Good yeah, if, John, if Sherrod Brown is elected vice president, that Senate seat goes Republican for the next two years until Brown's term is up. So what about in the case of Massachusetts, where we also have a Republican governor? I saw the Boston Globe said there might be some ways around that. I mean, what's your take on that? Well, there are two things that make it much easier to replace Elizabeth Warren. One is the Massachusetts law is different than the Ohio law. The Ohio law says the governor gets to point a point of substitute for the remainder of the Senate's term. In this case, that would be a full two years. Massachusetts law is different. Uh, Massachusetts law says the governor has to call a special election to replace the outgoing senator uh, in hundred and tw- between in between ninety and one hundred and twenty days. Uh, so, if Elizabeth Warren uh, wins uh, a presidential race, uh, if she becomes vice president, uh, the Republican Charlie Baker uh, can appoint a temporary substitute, uh, but that person is only guaranteed the seat for three or four months until the next special election. And given the climate, I'm speaking from Massachusetts, uh, given the climate here, it's almost a no-brainer that the senator who would replace Elizabeth Warren in April would be another Democrat. Very good. Um, And uh, not only that, uh, Charlie Baker has publicly announced he's not going to vote for uh, Donald Trump. And Charlie Baker's a pretty, you know, by Republicans, uh, standards. He's a communist. Uh, <laughs> and he's likely to appoint um, a Republican who is, you know, moderate and certainly not very conservative. Uh, now, you don't have that guarantee with John Kasich, so it's much easier to deal with the Warren vacancy than the Brown vacancy. It's almost impossible to deal with the Brown vacancy, which, which tells me it's not going to be that way. Brad, I want to go to uh, a caller here, our good friend Reggie from Georgia. Reggie, you had uh, some comments about the VP uh, kind of uh, contestants here, people who are being considered. Uh, What are your thoughts on this, Reggie? Well, I hope she does get picked as Hillary Clinton's VP because she's been constantly attacked by Donald Trump, Scott Brown, and conservative radio talking host Dana Loach about her Native American ethnicity. And somebody wanted her to take a DNA test to see if she was actually Native American, of Native American heritage. And if, they, and if she has to take one to prove to them once and for all that she's a native, she was born Native American, then they should all take they should all take one too. You know what I'm saying? It's ridiculous yeah. to to have someone have to to be you know said, oh, I don't believe that this is your heritage. Take a DNA test. I mean, they've already had so many racist and xenophobic overtones in the Trump campaign. To hear that come out of uh, Scott Brown's mouth, who's you know advocating for Donald Trump, is is just pretty insane. Especially after he got walloped by. Uh, uh, Senator Warren in, in the race where he lost his Senate seat in Massachusetts. We're going to take our last commercial break here, come back with Brad, talk a little bit more about that, and we're going to get into the fact that Republicans went ahead and sunk the Zika funding bill, and you're going to be surprised to hear why. Uh, they used it to promote the Confederate flag anti-corruption riders 
and exceptions to clean water laws. No joke. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the break. Again, this is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall. Leslie will be right back uh, in about 15 minutes uh, leading off the next hour. But in the meantime, you've got a little bit more time if you want to call in and join Brad Bannon and myself. Mark Grimaldi, you're welcome to uh, also follow Brad on Twitter at Brad Bannon. His website is BannonCR.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. It's at Mark J. Grimaldi. That's G-R-I-M-A-L-D-I. And we will be right back after this short commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Turn it up so I can feel it. Turn it up so I can be near it. Baby says she's got that feeling. Moonwalking on the ceiling. It's all right. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall. One more segment here with Brad Bannon. Brad, we're going to go to uh, a call, actually, next. We've got Troy in Charlottesville, Virginia. Troy, uh, go ahead. Thanks for calling in. Gentlemen, good gentlemen, good afternoon. I've been listening to you guys uh, talk about this election and VP and stuff of that nature, but I, I kind of want to throw a comment and a question into the mix. If she does pick Elizabeth Warren, which I think is a good pick based on the chemistry, how do they expect to get anything done with the Republicans, the Republican Congress, in a Democratic-leaning Senate? Brad, do you want to... question number one. Go ahead, go ahead. Question... We'll let you ask the second one. Let, let, let us ask the, answer the first one, then we'll let you get on to number two, if that's cool. Sound good, Troy? All right, cool. Okay, cool. Go, that sounds great. Go ahead, Brad, if you want to answer his first question. Well, uh, the, uh, the ugly truth is uh, that, if, uh, that Hillary Clinton is probably going to preside um, over uh, as president uh, with a Republican House. And marginally, in my opinion, I think Democrats will take back the Senate, thanks to Donald Trump, uh, and she'll have a slim majority in the Senate to work with. But the reality is there's not... You know, she's going to run into the same problems Barack Obama did. Uh, Republicans consistently, since Barack Obama had been elected president, have refused to work with him. And uh, I'm guessing, based on their history with Hillary Clinton, uh, they're not going to have any more interest in working with her uh, than they did Barack Obama. So, you know, we're headed to more gridlock, sadly. I think we're going to see more of Brad, I think we're going to see more of a chance of, of changes in the Supreme Court having effects on legislation, like maybe rolling back Citizens United and, and uh, basically putting the, the full uh, power of the Voting Rights Act back into effect, which is honestly a, a, would be more than Congress could do. That said, I think you make some good points. I just want to let Troy a- answer his other, uh, excuse me, ask his other question just because we only have a ni- about 90 seconds left. Troy, go ahead. Actually, I like what he just said, too. I think the, um, the Supreme Court's going to be doing a lot more of the legislating and not the government. Um, my, sec- my second and final question is, why don't the Democrats just um, run a bunch of independent and Republican-leading congressional districts? That way they can tie up the Senate to where they can get enough votes to actually get something done. What, what do you mean by I, I'm not sure I understand what you mean by that. Meaning, Troy. like, you know, um, in, the, in, the, in 2014, in, in the state of Kansas, Greg Orman ran as an independent, right? Oh, and you mean he, to, like, s- kind of split the vote almost? Yes. Okay. Yes. 
Well, I mean, they don't really have a lot of control over whether or not an independent would run in the race. It's an interesting strategy. Um, Brad, we've got about 30 seconds left. Did you want to leave us with anything here today? Uh, well, you know, I want to double, uh, double down on your point about Supreme Court. I agree. I think Congress is not going to want to work with Hillary Clinton any more than did Barack Obama. But if Hillary Clinton gets to a point, um, a progressive Supreme Court justice, uh, I think you're going to see the Supreme Court move on some of the issues that Congress refuses to uh, uh, to move on. And I think the Supreme Court is really the big stakes in this election. I couldn't agree more, Brad. Sorry there to cut you off. We're out of time. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall. Check out Brad Bannon on Twitter at Brad Bannon. BannonCR.com is his website.